Hey, we're back. Welcome, Business of Film, episode number 23. My name's Jesse Eichmann, and today's episode, we are featuring the CEO of Gather, Scott Glosserman, to the show. Scott is an awesome guy, tons of implementable knowledge. They have reams of data and information from having gone through this process of uh, a, really a term that, that they coined, theatrical on demand, and what's working, what's not working for filmmakers looking to get their films in front of an audience. So I've got nothing but the highest of praise for Gather and for Scott. Uh, I just think it was awesome to sit down and for Scott to give us his time uh, to share some of that knowledge with us. Uh, I, I really think that they've got an awesome platform. I think they're, they're, they think about the business in the right way. Uh, they're doing the right things. And it's just it's really clear talking with Scott that not only are they an awesome company, but there are some really great things ahead for them and for the indie filmmaking community at large. So without further ado, episode number 23, Scott Glosserman here on Craft Truck. You, you got to tell me, how did Gather actually get started? What was the, uh, you know, the, the, the seed that, that started this whole thing? Wow, that's a great place to start. Although I'm not, I'm not sure if I should give you the, the long version or the short version. I'll give you the short version because it'll probably turn into a rather long version. I was, I'm a filmmaker myself, and I have had been lucky enough to have studio distribution for my films. I've shot movies for television. I have self-distributed films, thinking I could do better than the than the studio release. Uh, and miserably failed, by the way, at that. And and so through about a decade of filmmaking and producing, I um, I, I observed and absorbed all of what I felt were the archaic inefficiencies of traditional theatrical distribution, and what was very disheartening to me, and where I saw my career going, the, the types of movies that I wanted to make for the the audiences that those movies would appeal to, I just I didn't see a, a viable theatrical opportunity there, and um, and at the same time I happened to have shot a, a documentary about Wikipedia and the implications of of everyone crowdsourcing knowledge, and and I got steeped into the Wikipedia community. Um, and the, the, the whole philosophy behind it, this was right around the same time that Kiva and Kickstarter were, were just getting started, and um, I was exposed to, to them very, very early on. And, um, and, and there was also another ingredient, which was Paramount had a contrived um, campaign online on social media for paranormal activity where, where, they had, where people on Facebook could vote where they wanted to see the film. And although it was rather contrived, it, it, they, they were some of the seeds of, um, of, of crowdsourcing audiences. And so eventually you saw things like Eventbrite come on and people and demanded and things like that. And, and what I realized finally was if, if we could create a model that allowed audiences to pull content and uh, and create critical masses of audiences from the bottom up. This this was a trend that was working in other industries. Why couldn't it work for theatrical for films? 
And so what it needed was, though, it needed a scientific conversion where it's, it's, it's one thing to just demonstrate demand, but then you've got to actually choose a day and a time and make sure that if you're going to put the investment into having the screening that the crowd is going to show up, despite the fact that they demanded it. And so we, we really took from the, the Kickstarter crowd funding notion and we created a mechanism where people could, could reserve tickets by pre-authorizing their credit cards and so we were able to convert them into ticket purchases, which allowed for a found money revenue stream to be created in the business um, for everyone in the theatrical distribution food chain. The theaters didn't have to um, tie up their spaces, and the content owners didn't have to lay out undue marketing and distribution costs. Um, and so everybody, this is all incremental revenue and no one was worse for wear except for maybe sweat equity if the screening ended up not happening. So that, that was really the seed. And, and I got married in August of 2011. And I, after that, I had just come back from the Canadian Rockies where I shot my last film, uh, Truth Below. And, uh, and I decided to put that all aside and really try to, to create this tangible model and thinking once I, once I build this, if I can spend a few years working on this, maybe I can go back to making films, but in a more robust and viable film community than, than the way I entered it. Now, there's, uh, when, when you were building the platform, did you bring on a bunch of, uh, you know, coders and, you know, marketing people and the studios? I mean, it must have been a fairly complex process just to sort of take uh, an idea that had been tested, as you mentioned before, in other sort of similar spaces, but you were pulling that idea and trying to bring it into this new platform, this theatrical on-demand platform. But then you had to kind of work, you know, on, on integrating everything. Was that a complicated process, just figuring that all out? And how did that, can you describe sort of the mechanisms by which you, you went about doing that? I just want to be clear on, not, not be clear per se, but I, I just want to understand, uh, if you will, you know, what's happening behind the curtain of the whole thing. That's a great question. I didn't know anything at all about websites, building websites, tech platform. I didn't know anything about that. I was a filmmaker, and I had a film hat on, and I recruited people, colleagues to come and work with me who were working at Summit and who were independent theatrical bookers. And I was building a distribution company that, that was tech-driven. And I, I, this was coming right off of uh, SOPA, the Stop Online Piracy Act, where I, I really felt as though Silicon Valley was taking a moral high ground, um, but it was a disingenuous one, and they would charge the entertainment industry and my film industry with not being innovative and hiding behind the MPAA and legislation. Uh, and, and I just, I, so I, I, I kind of turned my nose up a little bit at the tech community, but at the same time, I knew that we had to build a website and a tech platform. So we really came at this as a film community. I had startup experience. I see every single movie as a mini startup company. And even if you don't know what you're doing, if you have a crystal clear vision for something and an ability to articulate it, I mean, that's ultimately what makes a great director. 
and so of, of films. And so I, I figured that it would the same concept could apply to uh, a tech startup company, even though I had no idea how to build a website. What we did initially was we we were able to put the vision down on to paper and through through various contacts and an exhaustive search, we ended up outsourcing our tech. Uh, so probably in retrospect, we paid a pretty penny for the tech that we built and it and it probably took probably took longer than it should have to build and it cost more, but that wasn't our strong suit. What we did have was institutional knowledge about about filmmaking, film marketing, and film distribution. And we figured any any Joe could come along and come up with this marketplace concept and uh, and from a tech or business perspective build uh, a passive marketplace. But but the institutional knowledge required to effectively distribute a movie and to empathize with how difficult and challenging that is, and the intricacies and complexities of theatrical distribution, and what the challenges are on the theater side, and some of the inefficiencies and challenges to scale that business are. I mean, that was the institutional knowledge we had. So where we had um, tech debt, as it were, uh, we were way ahead of the ball on um, on the on the industry side, on the film distribution side. Does that all make sense? Yeah, I, I guess the the interesting thing there that that kind of rings to me is when you talk about the institutional knowledge and you talk about the inefficiencies and the ability to scale. Um, you know, I I'd, I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into into that area and ask you, well, what are those inefficiencies, or what did you find were the inefficiencies? Well, there are very interesting inefficiencies. First of all, you've got a whole business that is done over the rotary phone, essentially. And I, I, I say that a little facetiously. It's done over e- email, but but a massive company like Warner Brothers can book 4,000 screenings of, of Harry Potter, 5,000 screenings of Harry Potter, by making a few phone calls to the regional booking teams of major circuits. So... So the circuits are, are very scalable in, in that regard, but um, there are there are hundreds of smaller independent theaters that are sort of left out of that picture. In order to in order to book a wide footprint of a of a major motion picture, you want to be able to be as efficient as possible and consolidate that. And so, circuits are built for scalability, but quite like you would not necessarily see a movie because it's universal. Uh, versus a movie because it's Warner Brothers, per se, and some people would. Um, one's not necessarily going to go to Regal um, because it's showing at Regal versus AMC. Again, there are exceptions. Um, there, there are loyalists, but um, there, are, there are very particular uh, reasons why the, the art house and independent theater community uh, there, there are positives for those, and there are drawbacks. Those, those, those independent, mission-driven, community-driven art house theaters are not built to scale, but they do have a wonderful presence in their local communities for the for the most part. They've got credibility. They've got a voice. They've got subscribers. 
loyalists who go go and patronize their 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 venue regardless of what they're showing. The problem is they don't have a great deal of flexibility because maybe they only have one or three screens. And um, but the big circuits are built for scalability, although they don't have the type of brand and credibility and voice that the small indie theaters do. So the, there are challenges for every type of theater, and, um, and, and, and the real fun is trying to, trying to solve for the different problems that the various theaters in the country have. Now, does gather? I don't want to. This is actually really, really interesting. And the, and you're you're talking about this. I just point out in a way that we haven't heard yet on this show. And I think that that that's worth just you know un- unveiling, uh, which is this whole idea that there are circuit. You know that there are basically clusters or circuits that with one phone call you can book into all the majors across. You know a, a studio film across the entire United States, and then you've got these little pockets of indies, of which uh, I, would, I would ask you, actually, how many indies are there, uh, independent <laughs> theaters in the United States right now? Well, certainly over 1,000, and probably, probably over 1,500. There's, there's, there are unofficial counts, but uh, and gather, the question is what... Gather taps Sorry, into that. Ahead. So you gather taps into that 1,000 to 1,500, whatever it is, like that is like you've got the ability to to reach into all those theaters and and book films in that uh, in that pool of theaters. That's right. Gather Gather is essentially the largest virtual exhibitor on the planet because Gather has has partnership with with not only the vast majority of art house indie theaters across the country, but also the top circuits, or not even the top circuits, virtually all of the circuits in the country. And so the fact that we can play almost anywhere at this point, um, and at, it, at it almost any time, um, we have the wonderful ability to be virtually everywhere um, without the overhead of of actually owning the the footprint, and so now, granted, in terms of it is a business show, so in terms of business, we we pay a, a hefty portion of the of the top line revenue to the theaters, of course, but we also don't have their overhead. And I should I should also point out that uh, the deals are generally more favorable for um, for our style, our theatrical on demand model than they would be for traditional whereas traditional ends up being around a 50 50 deal our our blended average is is slightly better than that sorry i think you just because i think we we might have lost it for just a half a minute just as you as you were saying the blended average is what whereas uh traditional distribution takes generally at the end of the day a, a 50 50 split between the the theater rental and the and the content owners and the rights holders right. our our blended average across all screenings ends up being more favorable than that oh oh i see i see okay so it's just it's it's better than the than the the quote unquote studio average right and that's and that's that would be naturally obvious since we're 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 added incremental revenue for theaters, and so generally we're able to get more favorable deals 
Right. So you're you're building this company. Uh, it's a tech platform based on the institutional knowledge that you have. At the time when you were building it, because uh, I, I actually don't like I, I haven't you know mapped out a timeline between because there were other competitors out there in the market or. Uh, were there at the time when you were building this. So I guess my, my question to you is, were you aware of who your competitors were in the landscape at, uh, at the time when you were building this, kind of, and bringing that forward to now, you know, uh, where do you see yourself as compared to, you know, some of your other colleagues in the business that are also, that also have theatrical on-demand platforms? So it's, it's kind of a two-part question, you know, how do you guys differentiate yourselves from from your, uh, you know, colleagues slash competitors? And, you know, were you really aware of the competition that existed uh, in the similar theatrical and demand model uh, as you were building your platform? Well, just a point of clarity, we theatrical on demand is a is our registered trademark. That's something that we um if if there there certainly there is certainly another competitor in the industry that is doing what what I would call um, a critical mass ticketing or crowdsource ticketing, but uh, but we we really feel as though theatrical on demand is unique and it's and it's proprietary to us. Now I I always grew up I grew up in a in a very entrepreneurial family and I would be told and we part of the dinner table conversations would be coming up with ideas and concepts and solving problems and and you could be sure that I, I, we would my brother and I would hear at least once a week if you've got a good idea you can be certain that a thousand other people are thinking of the same thing and it's really about who's going to execute first so I had no idea anyone else was working on this concept because, I mean, this had come to me quite organically, as I described, through um, through my own experience in the industry releasing films. And although given where culture was going and given other effective areas of crowdsourcing, whether it was knowledge on Wikipedia or restaurants on Yelp or... Um, or funding on on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, it, it was just a matter of time before the concept would be hopefully applied to a bottom up uh, model for theatrical distribution. I didn't realize that anyone else was working on it, but I certainly wasn't <clears throat> surprised. Um, I would say very very much like Deep Impact and Armageddon happen at the same time and you wonder why two major movie studios can can let that happen uh i i think we were probably two asteroids that were hurling towards earth at the same time and um and it just so happened that i mean we launched i, I believe our competitor had a beta site uh launched but we actually went live on march 7th, I believe, of 2012, so just a couple weeks before the South by Southwest Film Festival, and our competitor launched at the South by Southwest Film Festival, so the, the way they, they did it, and, and by the way, in retrospect, it's a good thing, because having both our companies out there really created um, 
more of a legitimacy in the marketplace earlier. Yeah, I was going to say that. It was probably good for you, like the same way yeah. restaurants, you know, you know, like to be next to each other. The same way you've got four banks on every corner, you know, it's right. just, it, 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 having that probably helped more than right. Hurt. Absolutely, and and you know, if if their thesis was anything like ours, and I can imagine it was, there is so much capacity. I mean, there are 46,000 screens in the United States, and I would say 99, I wouldn't say, this is a, a quote from someone else, uh, 99% of all of these seats are empty Monday through Thursday. 93% of the seats are empty Monday through Sunday, and it's a $10.89 billion annual box office. So given that, the box office represents 7% of the capacity of the seats across the country, which means it's the market opportunity is staggering. It's something like $165 billion. So there's, there is plenty of room. And there are also, I don't have to tell you, thousands of films that don't have a prayer of a theatrical given a traditional model. And many of these films, um, 5,000 films are accepted to film festivals of one type or another across the world annually. And so if half of those films are any good, and if half of those films or even a quarter of those films are documentaries that have very highly engaged communities, existing communities, you still have hundreds of films from which to to choose, to, to give them a proper bottom-up theatrical on-demand type opportunities. And so that just means there's plenty of room for a competitor and probably several. So, um, and, and Yeah, go ahead. You know, I was just going to ask you, I mean, obviously you, you've been at this now for a couple of years. You've probably seen uh, some great successes and you've probably also seen some great failures. People that have, you know, done things right and, and what they did right and people who, you know, have, I don't want to say done things wrong, but but probably learned from, you know, the inexperience of this being such a nascent technology. Uh, can you share the things that have been done right and what they were and the things that have been done wrong and what they were. Well, are you asking what, what we did right and wrong or what our filmmakers did right or no, wrong? I was actually more thinking from the perspective of the filmmaker because the film, because the way I at least conceptualize gather is a technology platform and that it's up to the end user, be it the filmmaker to use the platform to its fullest potential. So I am asking the question from the perspective of the filmmaker, but I, I would certainly also flip that as well. Um, uh, but but I, I want to ask it from from the from the film sure. from the filmmaker's perspective. You know, what are filmmakers doing right? What are they doing wrong? Well, again, I would probably um, challenge that characterization. I would submit to you that we are a tech driven distribution company and and it may feel as though I'm hanging on semantics but but really our philosophy is that we're a distribution company first and we we certainly use tech tools to help augment what we're doing uh, but, by the way by the way I don't think that's a semantic difference because uh, I have asked the same question. Do you think of yourself as a, t and I was going to ask you this later. So it's interesting that you bring it up now. You know, do you think yourselves as a distribution company 
or a technology platform. So, um, in that's, answering that's this right. question, well, yeah. So, so go ahead and go ahead on your train of thought there. Well, I think I think I think this is the most crucial point actually because this this really does differentiate ourselves probably from our competitor who um, may characterize themselves or see themselves differently, and also it also really elucidates perhaps some of the differences in, in our successes or failures in, uh, in our first couple of years. I, when you're approaching this type of business from strictly a tech perspective from 60,000 feet, it would be logical to build a Netflix type of site where one could browse the world's content and simply put a finger on RoboCop or Serpico and, and request screening. And that is, that, so that's a marketplace. That's a passive marketplace, a tech platform where consumers can choose films, uh, screenings of films. That is a good business for whomever is involved in it. It's a long tail model and there's nothing wrong with that business from the business owner's perspective. Because if you have thousands of screenings a year, but you have one screening of each one of these films, great business, a great sort of secondary or tertiary ancillary model for the bright, the studios who might have hundreds of those films, but not such a good business for a first-run filmmaker who is truly trying to figure out how to gross a million dollars. Um, the type of approach we took was vastly different. Uh, and by the way, I'm not suggesting that that is the approach that our competitor took. I'm just merely laying out a uh, one scenario, one approach to this business. The approach we took was we want to gross a film a million dollars. That will change everything. If we have a brand new model for this business and and we can get a film, one film, to gross over a million dollars, we've created a tectonic shift in 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 the in, in theatrical distribution and and that that proof of concept and proof of demand um, certainly we would need to turn that into a trend but that's really that's going to shake things up and so our approach was not to build a passive marketplace a passive tech platform and and have some first run cause driven documentary sitting next to twenty seven dresses or Robocop. Um, our, our approach was certainly we need a website because we need a presence online, but we're going to build tools and those web tools are going to be put on our filmmakers pages. We're not going to spend any money marketing our company or our brand because people will ultimately back in to us because if somebody is interested in a movie about girls education, um, they may not be film fans, but but they can certainly galvanize around a, a movie that that is a catalyst for discussion about girls' education. But they're also not going to be interested in the documentary about the um, Monsanto uh, seed problem in southern India. Um, and by the way, those people aren't film fans either, but they but they certainly support farming practices. And so for those films to be sitting on our site for people to come in and browse, it's not the most efficient way to get at those consumers. The best way is 
to let those documentaries use their their community access and their legitimacy and their voice to activate a community of, of supporters who are already proactive and emotionally engaged. And those supporters go to those filmmakers' websites where our tools exist. And since we're driving all of the attention and action to our films and not distracting them with our brand or our, or our platform, that is what has really g given us lots of success. And so we were fortunate with our first movie, Out of the Gates, um, on March 7th, 2013, a year after we uh, did Beta. Um, that movie has now grossed a million eight almost. It was the fourth highest grossing movie of the year last year, documentary of the year. And, um, and so we're, we're very gratified that our approach ended up working as well as it did. And so I guess just bringing that to um, bringing that to the question that I guess I initially asked, which and I, I definitely appreciate that you know the way you've characterized, and I see more the way you you know you guys think about yourselves. Again, though, how does a filmmaker take those tools that you're talking about and effectively plug them into their you know what what they're doing to get the most out of? I, I, you know, I guess the resource that is gather. Great question. And and then where were the successes and failures? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm right. Whatever. Yeah. You can, I mean, just, just, I mean, I don't want to. I mean, it's, it's a big question, but just from, from from your perspective. Sure. The the filmmakers at this point, we have so much institutional knowledge. We've got uh, over fifteen hundred screenings just in the last. Uh, several months we have um, we have we have so many anecdotes we've we've got so many different ways to organically tip screenings that we can look back on and, and we now have so much data we know uh, I, I would imagine like Kickstarter uh, based on the trend of how tickets are being reserved and how much time the 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 movie captains we call them have to tip their screenings there's so much um, knowledge now and, and help that we can spoon feed to our filmmakers that they can take advantage of in order to activate their communities. And by activate communities, let's just take a documentary about um, addiction and recovery. We have a movie called The Anonymous People. And The Anonymous People, inevitably, the types of movies that we, that we feel work the best with our with that theatrical on the man are the movies that have a highly engaged community around those movies so crowdfunded movies have proactive backers cause driven documentaries have emotionally engaged communities supporting whatever the the cause or the messages of the film and inevitably those documentary filmmakers who have spent two to six years on working on their movies who have put the heads of organizations into their films and who have established trust within the communities. They're the ones who, who have the voice and the Rolodex and the credibility. And, and so the successful cocktail for, for a tandem gather filmmaker success is simply a, not only the, the right film that has an active community, but a a filmmaker, a filmmaking team, 
that's willing and able to put the sweat equity into activating that community and, and more and more often the capital. I mean, as, as we've now demonstrated that this is a viable economic and probably a preferable economic model than, than the traditional 10 market two week run um, for certain documentaries, those documentaries or other films with communities that would have otherwise spent several thousand, 60,000, 200,000 or more on traditional marketing actually do have capital to spend on the type of grassroots outreach in the marketing that works for a, a gather style distribution that would actually result in a much higher economic yield than the traditional. So where the filmmakers are able to provide just the last, not even the last mile, but the last hundred feet of outreach for us, we tee everything up for them. We work very, very hard and around the clock, liaising with our filmmakers, giving them our templates and our messaging and all of our data from all the screenings. And we tell them where to send messaging out and how and what kind of messaging. It's a very tandem effort. Whereas I think there may be a perception that the filmmakers are completely on their own. Um, there is, a, there's a lot of handholding. That's interesting to hear. Um, can you, when it comes to the, I guess, quote unquote, handholding, what, and I guess I don't want to, because I, I know you, you use the term handholding, but I sense that you probably mean a lot more in terms of, you know, support uh, that you're giving to the filmmaker all, all the way down the line. And so what are some of the examples of support that, that Gather gives to the filmmakers um, that a filmmaker can rely on, that they know if they bring their film to, to Gather, that they know they're going to get that kind of like this, this basket of goods to help them on their journey? We have we have high level executives at the company, both in New York and LA, depending on where the filmmakers are, who we assign to the film. And it, I mean, if you sign up with a publicist or a marketing agency or a talent agency, you get your agent. Well, you get you get your your liaison. No and, shit. And this, That's great. Yes, I didn't know that. And this person is. And, and these guys have so much experience. I mean, they know everything that works, everything that doesn't work. If you just listen to, to our guys, you'll know exactly what you need to do. Um, these guys aren't interns. These are, these are high-level executives at our company, and they're going to work at a very high level with the filmmaking team um, months in advance or weeks in advance or however much runway we have to make sure that the, the website is set up, that the social media is set up, that, that all the expectations are set up and managed, and that the proper calls to action are written um, with whether we do promo codes or the text or the outreach. And, and so we're, we're there every step of the way. We are setting up a movie's distribution in the way distributors work. I mean, uh, distributors are, if they're 10 or 15% booking, they're, you know, 85% marketing. And ultimately, 
we're a distributor and we, we embrace that. When, again, we're not a tech platform. And as a distributor, we put a ton of consideration into a select number of films, not the world's content. And those select number of films, we work with very closely with our filmmakers and we tell them what they're going to need to do, what the milestones are, the calendar, and, uh, and we're with them every step of the way. Then on a daily basis, we're sharing with the filmmakers the, the data for the, the films. Um, how many screening requests and when are they going to expire and where are they and uh, so that we can geotarget messaging. We also have a, a, a way of engaging. There's, there's sort of two big components. One is, okay, the filmmaker comes to us They've spent three years building their community. The community is just itching to, to do action, and so they're ready to be activated and called to action to request screenings so that they can, they can champion local screenings of the movie all over the country. That's step one, and we, and we work with the filmmakers to successfully activate the community in the, in the theatrical run. Step two, though, is to make sure that the, the, movie captains who are requesting screenings are effectively engaged and that they are aware and they understand what their the expectations of them are and how they tip screenings that they don't get frustrated or or um or uh psyched out um because there's so much support and there's so many positive examples of successful screenings at this point that we, we want to make sure that we don't leave them, that we engage with them, and so that we can ensure that the majority of our screenings do tip. So going back to where you say, where are your successes and failures? If we had, and we have had failures um, along the way, mostly the failures go back to the fact that we are not a tech company. No one, uh, I mean, now at this point, I feel as though I'm a tech guy. I can put my tech hat on and talk MySQL or, or HTML or our, our stack or our hosting. I mean, I, I'm, I'm steeped in agile development and, and that's, that's fine. But we have, um, because of our lack of tech, our tech debt, uh, there were a lot of things that when, when we had a success out of the gates, our tech was duct taped. And I would imagine that a company that started this as a tech company would have had much more superior and cost-effective tech out of the gates. Uh, so they, they may have had other problems, like figuring out what films worked or how to distribute effectively. So there were some frustrations and failings in the ability to accommodate the demand that we were driving in a timely and effective way. That's a rather high-class problem that um, we fortunately were got some mulligans on since this was a brand-new concept. Um, now, really, the, the, the failures are more of when filmmakers are not accessible, if they live across the world and, or they're, you know, in fact, the more successful a filmmaker is, the less time he or she has to, to do the outreach and the promotion of the film. And so, um, you know, we're, we're seeing this on the square, for instance, which we, we took out the square and God bless the filmmakers. They're incredible people. They're back into rear square shooting the film. They're on NPR. They're all over the place going to the Academy Awards, but, we we just simply don't have um, 
the, the the type of interaction with them. I mean, it's a it's a it's a tandem effort, as as you can clearly see. And so, when you don't have the support, or when you have competing interests, when the film is out on Netflix or some other ancillary platform, and there are competing interests, um, then then you uh, at worst you're you're cannibalizing the audience. But at best, you're distracted from from uh, the particular gather run. Well, then let, that actually uh, leads me to my next question, which is: What would be the best windowing for films when they want to use, you know, your theatrical on-demand model? Great question. We completely bucked the system. We are. We're, totally in favor of an exclusive 90-day theatrical window at minimum. We are we couldn't more strenuously suggest or recommend that movies allow filmmakers allow for their movies to to test the waters in theaters because they're no worse for wear. If anything, so anonymous people I brought up before, anonymous people has now grossed over two hundred and sixty thousand dollars in six months, and the, and that that theatrical gross that otherwise had we didn't exist, that film would have sold some DVDs, uh, but never had a theatrical. And the fact that it's done over a quarter million dollars has now opened up myriad opportunities, uh, downstream opportunities for that film. Even if that film were to have gone on to iTunes or Vimeo. Let's say uh, now the film might go on to iTunes or Vimeo or Netflix within advance. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, you look at the theatrical, and the theatrical creates awareness. It's a marketing, it's a found marketing opportunity, in so much as it's a found revenue stream, and um, and it, it augurs for higher advances and downstream sales. So, if you fail at the theatrical on demand. You still make all the deals you would have made before. And if you succeed at theatrical on demand, all of those deals are going to be richer. And so it serves the filmmaker to keep his or her powder dry and to pursue theatrical on demand in lieu of a traditional release. And then and then six months later, three months later, thirty days later, reevaluate and and decide only when theatrical on demand has run its course, what the ancillary play is going to be, because those those opportunities will always be there. The other thing is, once you get your film onto iTunes, let's say, and you've delivered the digital assets, iTunes doesn't care whether you're going to release next week or in three months. So you can always simply make the call and say, push it three months, because they're not putting any money into marketing. Now, obviously, it's different if they are, if they're planning a release, but assuming they're, they're just a, an outlet for one to deliver the film, you know, once, once it's up, you can, you can push the release. So one can continue to monitor the success or lack thereof of a theatrical on demand and based on instinct, then decide, or actually not even instinct, based on the actual data of, of how the, the film is performing and tracking the trend the downward trend of when it's going to expire, um, decide when to follow it up with ancillary. 
I, you know, we, we we've blown through pretty much all our time here today, and that was, uh, by the way, that, that that was a great answer on on the windowing. Totally not what I was expecting, um, and uh, certainly very interesting. The, 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 it, it it does very much go against the grain, but I, I think it's everything you said is spot on. So I, I definitely appreciate the answer and the approach. Sure. And you know, well, let me let me just follow it up really quick. I because I, I just want to underscore it with an, an anecdote. Yeah, sure. We're we are now we're in a long tail model. It's we we've come all the way back to nineteen seventy to Godfather, where it played for a year and a half for the Cassavetes driving around the country with film canisters in his in his trunk and playing it locally. We have the tech tools to allow us to go back to the hyper local marketing and to 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 capture through single screening opportunities uh, an aggregate gross box office that not only on a per screen basis, by the way, we're averaging 150 people per screen. We had a film last night, an oscilloscope movie called uh, These Birds Walk, which we had 450 people last night in Boston and, uh, and we turned people away. So we're setting up new screenings. These Birds Walk was out three months ago in theaters for you know, a couple weekends, and we're still screening it, and I guarantee none of the people last night knew about the theatrical release. So the point I'm, uh, I'd like to leave you with is Girl Rising, the movie that, that grossed a million eight that we released March 7th, came out on DVD March 4th, uh, several days ago, and we are still screening Girl Rising every month. And it's just an annuity that continues to perform and perform. And even after a year, we've basically filled two college football stadiums. I mean, there's, the country is so big and word of mouth takes so long that, that the only effective way to capture that word of mouth is to create a model that allows for people, whenever they hear about the movie, to be able to gather it. And that means the longer we can preserve the exclusive theatrical window, the more opportunity we have to capture that demand. You guys are doing awesome stuff. I wish you only the best of success and growth for Gather. Let people know how they can connect uh, with you guys if, if they feel that this is uh, something that they want to get involved with. Through our website. Go, go to gather with no E, G-A-T-H-R dot U-S, gather us. And through the website, through Contact Us, you can submit a film, ask a question, call us directly. Uh, it's, it's all there. That is just the easiest way. If you wanted to reach me personally, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm on Twitter. You can send a direct uh, tweet to me, just Scott Glosserman, at Scott Glosserman. So, yeah, I mean, it's, we hopefully are super easy to find. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, all right. I hope you liked that episode with Scott. Uh, he's awesome, right? I mean, just there's no other word, but that was uh, an awesome chat with Scott. And Scott, thank you for coming on the show. The reason why I'm doing an outro right now is uh, a couple reasons. Uh, we haven't done this before, but uh, what I would like to request of you, the listeners, if you're listening to this and if you've enjoyed uh, this podcast and gotten this far along in the conversation to head on over to Craft Truck. Uh, this is episode number 23. You can just find it under Podcast Business of Films, episode number 23. And uh, write us a comment. 
go down to the end of that post and just tell us what you thought about uh, this episode in general, uh, about uh, the, the, the business of film podcast, whether you're liking what you're hearing, what you're not liking what you're hearing. And just give us some feedback. We really want to hear from you um, on this episode. If you've got any particular thoughts, uh, what did you think about what Scott had to say? Uh, just let us know. We, we really want to start engaging with uh, our listeners, with you guys who are, who are you know, taking the time to listen to these podcasts and also to get you more information about the things that you want to hear more about. So the only way to do that is for you to give us some feedback. Let us know what you think, and it'd be super appreciated. 